thanks for, for coming. Uh, my name is Aaron Meckes. I'm the assistant principal at Holland Christian High School. I should stay by the mic, but I like to move. Um, this is my first year in that position. Previous to this, I was a science teacher at, at Holland Christian. Um, and so my, my goal today is just kind of share some things that I did in my science classrooms that I found really effective um, for helping kids be better people. Um, and it was kind of my hope, and I think, I hope that, that they could be used in a wide context of content areas. Um, I've got, I think, about 25 different activities, talks, just things that I found helpful. Um, and maybe if you just, can just pick a few, and maybe they'll work for you, and maybe they won't. Some of these are good, and some of them aren't. And uh, my goal is just to share a bunch of what I've done, and, and hopefully you can take something from it. So I want to talk through just a little bit about like why I took this approach to my science classroom why this is so important to me, why I'm so passionate about uh, kids developing character skills, um, particularly at uh, the secondary level as adolescents. Uh, I'm gonna talk just briefly about some of the brain science things that we know and, and how uh, the brain science kind of informs what I chose to do. And then I'm just gonna give you a bunch of stuff that I've done. So I hope that, I hope that some of that's useful. Um, so a few years ago, my first year teaching, I used to say things like, I hope my students know that I care about them outside of class, just like all of you. Uh, just like all of you do. I used to say things like, um, I hope my students learn to be better people in my class, but I found that there was a problem with hope. Um, I, found, I found that crossing my fingers and just hoping that kids would get it along the way uh, wasn't particularly effective. There was enough going on in my first year of teaching that uh, they weren't getting this, and this is something that's important to me and I'm passionate about. And so I decided I needed to, to be intentional about this and make a change. Um, I remember back to one of my classes learning about the necessary components of change. Um, and the first one I remember is that uh, if you want change to occur, it has to be intentional. Right? So getting my, my students to be better people, hopefully as a result of my class, I had to do it on purpose. Right? It had to be something that I was going to do um, and not just cross my fingers and hope that they get it. Um, I remember learning that if you want change to occur, there has to be some consistency involved. And so what I decided to do is I was going to create motivational Mondays, and it was going to be 10 minutes every Monday. So it's about two and a half hours over the course of a semester um, of my class that I took away from content, and I decided I'm going to be intentional about building character in my kids. Um, so 10 minutes a week, usually on Mondays, um, and I was going to do that consistently. This was something I was committing to every single Monday. And then the third thing, if you want change to occur, is it should probably be systematic. Um, if you want change to occur, intentional, consistent, and systematic. And so I'll, I'll share with you um, the first two activities that I would always do every semester. Um, then I'll just share a bunch of things that I don't think the order matters as much. But the first two um, were, were systematic in the way that I developed them. Um, and, and as we go through this, I just want you to remember, I said I hope you can find just a couple of things that you find useful, um, but I, I find thinking about this to be particularly helpful. Um, no one activity or sport magically confers these rewards. Good character is built through ongoing relationships, right? And so at the heart of all of this was my idea that I wanted to know kids, that I want to walk with them, that I want to know them beyond class, that I want to know who they are and what they love and how God's created them. Um, and just doing one activity or one team-building skill or whatever was not going to do it, right? It had to be intentional, it had to be consistent, and it had to be systematic if I was going to make this work. Um, and just, just so you're aware, I've, I've done this in three different contexts. Uh, so within my science classes, uh, specifically biology and then human anatomy, um, I've done this with my basketball team at Holland Christian, uh, the JV basketball team, and then I've also done this, uh, we have our winter program, I taught a, a winter leadership course. Uh, around this too. So some of these things come out of my biology class. Some of them I've done in different contexts. But So um, here's a little bit of the why. Um, American adolescents, the kids that you and I have the privilege of working with every day, are among the world leaders in the following, um, according to the Center for Disease Control. Uh, they're among the world leaders in teen violence, unwanted pregnancy, STDs, abortions, binge drinking, marijuana use, obesity, and unhappiness. These are the kids we get to work with every day. Um, these are the things that they struggle with, and it's, I, I'm adamant that it's not different in Christian schools. Um, these are the things that our kids deal with every day. Um, and it's really important to me that they learn uh, at this age how to control urges and how to be people of self-control and how to be, how to be good people. Um, so it's just one of the, the things that kind of struck me. I was like, you know what, this is what kids need. Kids need this. Um, a few things that I want you to know about adolescent brains. Um, one is that they are not defective. 
Um, and sometimes I think uh, we look at kids when they make a decision like, what on earth, right? They're not defective, but they're definitely different than yours and mine is. The frontal lobe, the decision-making piece, it doesn't communicate with the rest of their brain like yours and mine does. They're not defective, but they are definitely different. And that means that we have to take an approach that's just a little bit different when we work with adolescents. Um, rational arguments, uh, those type of things don't always convey what we want them to. So we have to, we have to do things just a little bit differently. Um, we know that they're still developing. I told you that that frontal lobe doesn't quite communicate as well yet. Um, which means, again, they don't think like you and I do. And so it's important to remember that they are indeed still developing. They're not fully mature. Even though they look like adults, they try to talk like adults, they're not all the time. Um, and that's important to remember. And then here's the, the really optimistic piece is that they are extremely impressionable. Uh, throughout this talk, I'll use the words malleable and plastic to kind of describe the way that an adolescent brain can, can begin to learn things and, um, and change and shift. So um, that's a, a great opportunity. Is they're extraordinarily impressionable? We'll talk a little bit about that. So um, here's one of my favorite quotes. It comes from Dr. Lawrence Steinberg. His book is called Age of Opportunity. And I think that that name of that book maybe tells you kind of what he believes about adolescence, right? This is an age of opportunity. And he says this. He says, not only is the brain more plastic during adolescence than in the years that immediately precede it, but it's also more plastic during adolescence than in the years that follow it. Adolescence is probably the last real opportunity we have to expect our interventions to have substantial and enduring effects. And I, right, that's, that's like a, it gives me chills to think about the opportunity that we have as Christian educators specifically to speak into kids at this unique time. Um, what, a, what a terrific opportunity that we have. Um, you know uh, adolescent brains increase hormone levels, right? You know this. You spend time in these buildings. Um, it seems like a problem oftentimes to us, but it turns out that elevated levels of hormones, elevated levels of, of uh, some of those neurotransmitters actually increase their ability to encode memories. And I think maybe if you think back to high school, um, you, can, you have some very vivid memories of the age of adolescence, perhaps more than college or young adulthood, or perhaps even probably more than elementary school. Uh, because of those increased hormone levels, the brain is actually too able to encode memories uh, better. And that makes for a really exciting time to work with kids. Um, this means that students are both impressionable, but it also makes them vulnerable. Right? They are impressionable to these good things that we want to fill them with. They're impressionable to positive development. They're impressionable to positive interventions, and they're impressionable to instilling character traits. It also means, though, that they're extraordinarily vulnerable to physical harm, to stress, to trauma, um, and all those things that we know are risk factors for adolescent kids. Um, and so if we think about this now in the framework of, okay, their brain is extremely impressionable, it's malleable, it's plastic, it's very vulnerable to those things, right? And we see that in adults, oftentimes, uh, a poor adult behavior can be traced back to a time in adolescence when something bad happened, a traumatic event, a stress, or whatever. Um, and so, while this is a terrific age of opportunity, it's also an age of risk. And it's, it's partially our responsibility as the people who see them, maybe more than anyone else, to make sure that we're doing good things with that malleable brain, rather than allowing stress and trauma and, and how to... Um, we can't protect them from those things, but we can teach them and equip them with tools to handle it well. Um, there's also one other piece that I want to talk about in terms of the brain, and, and it's this idea of synaptic pruning. Uh, synapses are the, the little pieces between neurons uh, in our brain and our nerves and things, and it's where neurons, our nerve cells uh, talk to each other. They, they can communicate with one another. Um, and in adolescence, uh, the, the brain goes through this, this process called synaptic pruning. And essentially, it's this idea of you use it or you lose it, right? So, so you have all of these skills, all of these connections that your brain has made. And if you don't use them, your brain realizes, you know what? These probably aren't very important. Maybe they're important for a 5-year-old, but they're not important for a 15-year-old. You use it or you lose it. But there's also a flip side to synaptic pruning that's really exciting. It also can be considered use it and improve it. Right? There's a really fascinating book, it's called The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle, where he talks about um, this, this uh, substance myelin in the brain, um, where essentially if you use uh, synapses and neurons more, your body will create more myelin, which optimizes or makes more efficient the, the, the ability of the brain to communicate with each other. So if you do something a lot, 
Um, it's not just like this idea of practice makes perfect, but it literally means your brain makes more connections and you can do things better, right? So not only is it use it or lose it, but there's also a great opportunity because you can use things and improve connections in your brain. So a really, really exciting uh, opportunistic time that we have as, as educators of adolescents to, to use this to our advantage. Um, I want you to take a guess here um, on that blank. So students who score the highest on measures of what? Get better grades in school. Uh, they're more popular with their classmates. They are less likely to get in trouble and they're less likely to develop emotional problems. All things that I would consider good. Right? They're, they're good at school. They're good at relationships. They are mentally stable. They're not getting in trouble. Um, what, what guesses might you guys have for that blank? Character. Character, okay. Any others? Say again. Self-esteem, great. Any other guesses? Emotional intelligence. It's actually self-control. Students that score the highest on measures of self-control are better emotionally, they're better academically, um, they're getting into less trouble, um, all what we would consider really, really positive things. Um, what's interesting to me is it seems to me that we've developed an educational system that is focused on the three bullet points. We've got an educational system that's focused on achievement. And I'm here to just kind of suggest to you today that maybe instead of focusing on achievement, we could actually begin to focus on developing self-control and character. And because we focus on that, um, achievement will fall. That's kind of the, the, the um, philosophy behind why I chose to dedicate 10 minutes every Monday to this. Um, it's why I believe in it so deeply. It's because I believe that, that the good grades and the friends and the emotional health, they're all really, really good, but I think they're actually all byproducts of some inputs that we can be intentional about. Um, here's a way that I really like to look at, uh, at this idea. And full disclosure, I stole this and modified it from, um, from Urban Meyer, uh, which is ironic uh, because, uh, as maybe many of you know, his football program is, is debatable, but um, I do think that it's really wise in the way that it's structured, right? He says, he says, rather than focusing on results and rather than focusing on winning games, I'm going to focus on developing leaders with a certain uh, skill set. And because of that, I'm going to develop a really unique, great culture within my football program, and that's going to change the attitude of everyone that interacts with it, and because of that, Ohio State's going to win football games. Um, modify that to your classroom, Right? If I focus on developing leaders and create a culture that welcomes everybody in and makes everybody be a part of this and changes their attitude collectively, then I'm going to see the results. Then I'm going to see the higher grades, the better relationships, the more emotionally stable, etc. Um, and this is the philosophy that I've taken as I've approached this in my classroom. Um, so a better question that I, I found to ask when I prepare for my class and think about my classes is not what are my students going to do or what are they going to learn or what standards are they going to cover, but rather who are my students going to become as a result of spending several hours with me this semester or this year. And when we frame it that way and we think about who they're going to become, um, <coughs> school becomes a lot more relevant. Um, I love this. This is a quote from a book I'll, I'll talk about later. It just says, The simple act of repurposing school as a vehicle for character growth gives meaning and value to every class, even if students have no intention of studying that further. Um, in my current position as assistant principal, I deal with discipline. And that is uh, such a common thing that I hear from the kids that end up in my offices. I just don't like school. I hate school. It's stupid. I'm not going to... Right? What if they came to school, and even if they're not going to study math or English or whatever, what if they knew that the things that they were learning, the skills they were acquiring, these character uh, traits, uh, they were going to be useful beyond that class. They were going to be useful in every aspect of life. And because of that, school becomes useful to them. It's a, it's a purposeful thing. Uh, it gives meaning and value to every class for all students because these tools are, are, are perfect for anything, not just for your class. Um, I'll stop there for a second. That's just kind of like my background of like, here's what, I know, here's what I know about adolescent brains. Here's kind of my philosophy on why I think this is so important um, and, and kind of the why. And now I'm just going to kind of get to the what. Are there any questions that I can answer or what questions can I answer so far about that?
Awesome. Okay. So um, again, if we if you think back just a few minutes ago, I stated that um, the first two activities I was pretty intentional and systematic about doing in that order, and the rest of them uh, you can kind of just fill in wherever it feels appropriate to you. Um, so here's the the first one. Uh, how did I do this? The first thing that I wanted to do with kids was emphasize purpose. Was emphasize purpose, and so here's the activity that we that we did every every uh, first Monday of the school year, um, and it was we would talk about creating buy-in with the kids. How do I get kids to believe that this is actually useful? How do I how do I get them to spend those ten minutes productively? How do I get them to like believe what I'm selling? Um, and so we start with the end in mind, and the way that we would do that is I ask this question: Who's successful and why? Who's successful and why? And they would usually give me the same responses that you would, you would probably guess. LeBron James, um, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, um, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, right? These types of people. And I'd say, why? And they'd say, well, they have money. They've done good things. They've, they've invented things. They create, right? All of the things that you would expect them. And I'd say, okay, so those are the things that make a successful life. Well, here's what I'd like you to do. I would like you to write your own obituary. What do you want to be remembered for? So I frame it and I say, kids, tell me, if you got to the end of your life, what would you want your obituary to say about you? What would your obituary say about you if you had lived a successful life? And so kids start writing. They start writing down all of these things and they say, okay, uh, if I get to the end of my life, what would a successful one have looked like? And I've got an example. This is from a 15-year-old boy at our high school. Um, and it gives me chills to just read it. This is a 15-year-old boy who wrote this. He said, if I get to the end of my life, this is what I would like to be remembered for. I want to be a loving, caring, supportive husband and father. I want to be generous, approachable, genuine, hardworking, a follower of Jesus, intentional, a learner, loyal, soft-hearted, and honest. And I... Cool. <laughs> I would love for you to be that too, right? I would love for all of the kids to be that. And so what I do is I say, okay... Shout out some of the adjectives that you guys wrote down, and we usually would come up with a list like this one. Lots of really positive words um, that they developed. I did not give them this list, right? And, and I'll give you just 30 seconds to look through it. Um, and I want you, to, I want to challenge you to think of a time when being these things wouldn't be helpful. And this is one of the ways that I can begin to create buy-in with kids. Whether they like science or not, whether they're interested in, in what I'm selling or not, they all kind of agree that, hey, you know what? Uh, as, a, as a football player, I would be better off if I were reliable, resilient, gracious, humble. If I were a business person, I would be better off if I were these things. If I were a husband or a dad or a wife or whatever, I would be better off if I was these things. Um, and through this process, I think they begin to see not only is it good, and this would be my end goal, and this is what I hope to be remembered for, but it actually is going to make me better off in a lot of things too. Again, kind of by, or, or pushing them toward my philosophy of if you do these things, the results are going to follow as a result of them. Right? The achievement is a byproduct of investing in these skills. Um, one of the things that I'll do later on uh, as in the semester, so this is not the second activity, but I'll typically do this maybe uh, in, in late October, early November, is I will pull this list up again. And again, this isn't my list. This is their list. These are the things that are important to 16, 17, 18-year-olds, not, not to Mr. Meckes, right? Um, and I say, how are we doing on these? And kids have usually forgotten about them, right? And I'll say, let's, let's think about these again. And what I want to do this week as our activity um, is I want to actually keep score on these. What are three things that you would like to do this week to be better? And so they'll pick three. Say, this week, Mr. Meckes, I want to be more, uh, I want to have more perseverance, I want to be more compassionate, and I want to be more self-controlled. And I say, great, here's a scorecard. And I develop a scorecard for them. So I give them five of them for the week. And every day in my class for the first two minutes, so instead of ten minutes on Monday, just two minutes each day, um, I would give them two minutes to fill out their scorecard, depending on when, when my class was in the day. How'd you do today? Rate yourself on a scale of one to ten in terms of perseverance. 
And then underneath of it, write one thing you did well and one thing that you did poorly. And by calling these things back to their attention, uh, it begins to, to, one, just kind of refresh and be like, oh yeah, that's how I want to live. And two, it actually makes them do it. Because usually the first day, they all are like two out of ten. And they're like, wow, I, if I really want to be truthful, and when I say I'm going to get to my end of my life and I want to be remembered as truthful, my daily actions aren't actually doing that. I need to be better. And by the end of the week, uh, kids are, are scoring higher. And again, they're self-scoring, so whatever. But uh, more important to me is they're actually able to remember times where they chose to be truthful. They remember times where they chose to be resilient. They remember times when they chose to be humble. Um, because I've called their attention to these things and just said, hey, you said you want to live this way. This is what you want to be remembered for. Are your daily actions doing that or not? Um, and just by keeping score for a week, it kind of draws attention to that. Um, it's particularly uh, relevant and, and um, resonates with our students at Holland Christian because of all the deaths we experienced in the last two and a half years. Um, I think sometimes when they write their obituary, actually I know they picture themselves as 80-year-olds. And sometimes it's a helpful to reminder to say, what if, you, what if you died tomorrow? Like, that could happen. Would you be remembered for this? Because I think sometimes their temptation is, well, I can live that way when I'm older. And that's just not it. That's not who you want to be, right? You have to be that now. And it develops maybe a sense of urgency that resonates with our kids, too. Um, so there's, there's the list that was developed in my wintering class last year. Uh, the second thing that I do is I choose to define purpose. What is our purpose, right? I think sometimes when we talk about purpose in life, we talk about achievements. And I want to reemphasize to them that purpose is not about achievements. Purpose is about the inputs and who you are. And so I, I tell them a story um, that goes along with this idea that achievement does not in and of itself bring fulfillment. Um, and I always give writing props. We keep a journal throughout the semester. And the question that I ask here is, I, I ask this. I say, if achievement hasn't brought fulfillment so far, why do you expect the future to be any different? Think about achievements that you've had in the past. Why do you expect any future achievements to be fulfilled? And kids are, I don't know. Right? So I have them journal on this. And while they're journaling, I tell a story. And um, this is an arrogant shrine to myself that sits in my office. Um, and this is one of the stories that I would always tell kids, and it looks extraordinarily arrogant, and I frame it, and I say, guys, I want to tell you about the most empty day of my life. I want to tell you about a time when I thought that if I achieved a certain thing, if I had achieved a certain status, if I had this certain title, life was going to be good. And so I sacrificed a lot of stuff, relationships and school and time, and, and it finally happened, and it was the most empty day of my life. And I share that story with them, um, and, and one of the things, and this is just kind of an aside, but when you tell stories that are like close to your heart, kids listen, right? There are some times when I do activities with my motivational Mondays that 90% of the kids are listening and temper, you know, whatever. Um, but there are three stories that I share specifically where you can hear a pin drop and where every eye is on me. Um, and those three stories are the three that I share that are closest to my heart. I share this story about the emptiest day of my life. I share a story about a little five-year-old boy named Jay that inspired me to become a teacher. And I share a story of, of walking with my wife as she struggled through depression and anxiety. And when those things happen, when I tell those stories, eyes are on me, can hear a pin drop, and it's meaningful. And it's after those days specifically when you get the, the hey, Mr. Max, can we talk after class? Can we, I need to talk to you. And, and when you begin to open up your heart, kids respond. They connect. They know. They can feel when you're vulnerable. And so you can't do it every day. And those are my stories, and they're not your stories. But I'm sure you have yours, too, where, where you can dig deep um, and share a piece of who you are and why you are here and, and what you've done and what's made you to be who you are. And, and those are the times when you truly connect with kids and when great relationships can happen. Um, I think when we're vulnerable, we endear kids to us. And they trust us, and we're able to, to walk with them in some really significant ways. And so that's just kind of an aside, um, but es essentially saying achievement doesn't bring fulfillment, and here's my experience with that. And then I just have them respond with a, a journal entry. And so um, my encouragement is, is to be vulnerable and share your stories, and, and these are mine, and I hope I know you have yours too, and they're, they're just as good. Um, 
Now, so I just talked about achievement, and I just want to talk about then the activity that I follow up with because I believe achievement is vital. Um, as much as I've talked about, you know, forget the results, forget. I love to win, right? I love to get good grades. I love, I love to achieve. I think we all love achievement, and I don't want to downplay achievement. Achievement is good. It's vital. It's just simply not the purpose of what we're doing in school anymore. Um, so what we do is we have this writing activity, and we, I started off by saying, I want to be a person of great character. Again, drawing back to the, the adjectives that they gave me, right? Drawing back to their list. And we start with, I want to be a person of great character, who blank. And then I let them tell me all about the achievements that they hope to, to um, do. And this is a great way for them to be, respond and be vulnerable with you. Because when you read through these journal responses, now you have something to talk about with every single kid in your class. Because they tell you their heart. They tell you what they want to be. They tell you what they want to do. They tell you all about um, the achievements that they hope to have. And, and what a great opportunity for me to just simply read through and be like, I had no idea that that person um, you know, loved to read so much and wants to be an author. I had no idea they were writing a book. I had no idea that that person rides horses. I had no idea, right? And they begin to tell you about their achievements. And again, we just frame it with, I want to be a person of great character who does these things. These aren't, these aren't who I am. Um, by the way, uh, I found this really interesting. I, I mentioned earlier that I think we've built a system that's based on achievement. And I just want uh, these things to resonate with you. 75% um, of high school students admitted to cheating on an exam in the last past school year. So hold that in one hand. Along with, so that and... 76% of high school students say they have high ethical self-esteem, and 80% agreed or strongly agreed it's not worth it to lie or cheat because it hurts your character. Right? But I think when we develop a system based around achievement, this is our result. This is what happens when we put achievement before who you are and how you behave and who you want to be. Um, and, I, and I'll talk about that just briefly with another one. Those are the ones that I think are like, again, when I go back to the uh, intentional, consistent, and systematic, those are like the systematic pieces where I've built buy-in. I've been vulnerable. They've been vulnerable. Relationships have been deepened. And now everything else goes better. That's the systematic piece. Um, now I'm just going to give you a bunch of stuff that I've done, and I don't think the order matters as much. Um, and maybe some of these are useful to you, and maybe they're not. Um, but anyway, here you go. So... Um, other teaching points. So uh, we talk about building routines as habits as and habits as adolescents. And again, the reason that I think that's so important is because their brains encode stuff better right now. So what better time to build good habits and good routines? And I was just um, in a session where uh, where it was said routines are not the same thing as um, oh no. Thank you. Routines are not the same thing as rituals, right? Routines are actually backed by science. Routines have some sort of, of, uh, of proof that they work. And so, so what better time when kids can encode things better than to build good routines and good habits? Um, and so this is language that I just simply use throughout my classes, habits and routines, habits and routines. Um, I talk about discipline. I believe, this is my belief, that discipline actually equals freedom. When you're disciplined, that enables you to have more freedom to do what it is that you want to do. Um, and so we talk about that. And so that Monday is just uh, discipline equals freedom. That's what I call it. And that's actually an idea by a uh, former Navy SEAL named Jocko Willink. Um, I talked about this already, character-based scoring. I've developed a scorecard that I'd be happy to send to any of you. Um, if you just email me, I'll give you that later. Um, but I just made a scorecard, really simple, and I just have them, have them score themselves on character for a week. And some of them... Uh, I would, some of them tell me they're continuing to do it. I don't know if they are. I don't keep them accountable to that. But uh, hopefully that becomes a routine or at least kind of an, at the end of the day. Um, I said I want to be more truthful. What did I do well today? And just a simple reflection question for them later. Um, a big one for me is praising energy and effort rather than outcome. This comes out of Carol Dweck's work in her book Mindset. Um, she's a psychologist at Stanford. Um, and she encourages educators and parents and anyone who works with kids to always praise inputs rather than outcomes. And so she kind of uses this example of, hey, um, if you sit here and you tell a girl, you're really good at math, you're really good at math, you're really good at math, you are such a good math student, and then one day she gets a bad grade, <clears throat> wait, I thought they said I was good at math. This is telling me I'm not, right? They have this cognitive dissonance of like, what do I, what do I believe? 
But if I had been telling that girl, man, you work really hard. I'm so proud of how hard you work at math. You must love math. I am so impressed by how you work at math. When she gets a bad grade, it's not this cognitive, oh, I thought I was good, and now I'm No, it's like, oh, I, I'm a hard worker, and I'm going to continue to do that. And, and so we praise energy and effort rather than we praise um, outcomes. Um, language that I use, and I use this quite a bit now in my job as assistant principal in terms of, of discipline, um, we talk about consequences, we talk about um, uh, behavior, and, and I talk about it within the framework of you're building trust or you're breaking trust. That's, that's what your actions are doing. You're not being bad, uh, you're not doing wrong. You're either building trust or you're breaking trust. And if you build trust, I'm going to give you more freedom. And if you break trust, I'm going to take some of your freedom away. It's not that I'm punishing you. It's not that I'm giving that person special treatment. It's that they built trust and now they get this. And if they've broken trust, some things are taken away from them. Um, it's helpful with discipline. It's helpful with, uh, I tell my basketball players for playing time, I'm going to play the people I trust. And if you build trust, I'm going to play you more. And if you break trust, you're probably not going to play very much. Um, and I think it's just a helpful framework um, for, for just talking about consequences to actions. Um, we talk about character like a muscle. Uh, again, that synaptic pruning piece, I do this when I teach the nervous system because it makes a lot of sense, and, and we just talk about the synaptic pruning and say character is like a muscle, and, and you can use it or lose it, which is fine. Some of that is really necessary as we grow up, but we can also use it and improve it. And then we begin to talk about myelin and teach all of those things um, that essentially build brain, build connections, build whatever. Um, sometimes I give homework that has nothing to do with school. And these are actually some of my most favorite things to assess or grade the next day. Go home and do a good deed. Just like, tell me what you did. And then we'll go around the room and just hear what everybody did, what something nice was that they did. Or for uh, one motivational Monday, I just bring in construction paper and markers. I say, write a thank you card to somebody. Right? Just sometimes your teachers, your parents, your, they need to hear you say thanks. They need to hear that you love them. Write them a thank you card, and your homework is to give it to them. Um, those things where it, uh, it forces them to live outward and think about somebody else and do something for somebody else rather than constantly looking in um, are extremely helpful and, again, build some of those character traits that we developed. How do I be more generous? How do I be more caring? How do I be more thoughtful? Well, you do stuff for other people, guys. Here it is. Um, thing that, uh, this surprised me that kids really resonate with this, but this is one of the favorites of um, at least seniors because um, it's a little more of an abstract idea, but this idea of living by principle rather than by feeling, right? And the example that I give, and it's not a good example because it's not true, but I talk about um, how much I work out, how much I go to the gym, right? And I talk about if I would like to be a person of good health, if I would like to exercise, then that needs to be a principle, that I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to do, the, like, I am committed to being a healthy person. And if I live by a principle, it's likely to be a lot more effective than if I choose to live by my feelings. I had a long day. I'm really tired. Uh, I just want to hang out with my wife. Um, I don't feel like it today. right? And when we talk about living based off of the principles that you develop rather than the feelings that you have every day, it allows you to live into those routines and habits that you wanted to set. Um, therefore creating discipline, which is one of our traits. Um, and so kids really gravitate to that. And so actually on that one, I just have them write, what are the principles you want to live by? Not by feelings. We don't live by feelings. We don't live, I don't feel like it. I was tired. I, whatever. Those things are legitimate, but you're choosing to live by principles that you've established for your life, not by the feelings that, you're, that are going to change day to day. Um, kids like that one. Um, some more. We have gratefulness discussions. I do this one around Thanksgiving, and we discuss things that we're grateful for, and I, I meant to put a picture in here, and I totally forgot, but uh, I have them just fill up my whiteboard with things they're thankful for, and by the end of the day, it's totally full, and it's really, really cool, and I love it, and we just talk about gratefulness. Uh, it's really hard to be grateful if you don't stop and think about the things that are good. Um, so we have a gratefulness discussion around Thanksgiving, and kids seem to like that. Uh, I've mentioned a few times the the journals that I have them keep, and so I just have writing prompts sometimes, and I've given you some of those questions, and, and if you email me later, I'd be happy to send you more of the questions that I, that I ask kids to just kind of generate some thoughts of how am I going to live intentionally, um, how am I going to be a person of great character, who does these things. Um, writing prompts are, are great, and it allows kids a space to be vulnerable, and you know them better, it deepens, really, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, those take, take time, 
not all my writing prompts are good. I'm learning to ask better questions. Um, and and uh, if you ask the right question, crazy things happen. Um, stories from former students. So uh, this I just added in, and I, so I've, this is one I've never had a chance to try. Um, I had a former student that, um, that contacted me about three weeks ago, and he says, hey, does Holland Christian do anything with so-and-so? And I said, no, I, I don't think we do. And he goes, well, I really, I really wish that they would have. I wish they would have told me that. Uh, and then he made a statement. Uh, he said, I wish as a high schooler somebody would have told me that what I was doing then was going to affect my future. I was like, I'm pretty sure we did tell you that <laughs> several times. Uh, like, you just weren't listening. He's like, yeah, I guess, I guess as a senior high school, if you had said that to me, I would have been like, eh, whatever. Um, but it is powerful, I think, and again, I haven't tried this yet, so maybe I'm way off, but I think it would be powerful if that student said it to those kids. Because two years ago, they saw him as a senior when they were sophomores, and if they hear him say it, I think that would be more powerful. So if you know former students that they've seen, that they, right, everybody looks up to the older kids when they're younger. Um, if you've got kids like that with a connection and you could bring them in, I think it'd be effective, but I can't tell you that it would be for sure. Um, throughout the year, we have character strength or of the week. Uh, sometimes we pull it into a month, um, and... This is the one time when I'm going to say this is not intentional and systematic. It's kind of like crossing my fingers and hoping that situations come up where I can talk about that trait. But it's never not happened. Right? It's never not happened. Every time something happens, uh, whether someone failed the test, whether they spoke out of turn, whether they're on the you know, whatever, there's always opportunities that come up in the course of a week to say, hey, how are you doing on that resilient piece right now? How are you doing on that loving piece right now? How are you doing on that humble piece right now? And um, I, I, organically, some of those things have come up, and sometimes it's Mr. Meckish just jumping on somebody's bed, right? You know, how it's perceived. Um, but other times, it's been really meaningful. And like, oh, yeah. Like, that's actually one of my three that I did that one. Like, why? Um, so, so just kind of having one up on the board, right next to my, my teaching point for the day, was just a word that I could point to and refer back to. Um, you know that current events are crazy um, and, and offer uh, another opportunity for just organically to have conversations around, um, around leadership and character and what's going on. Um, if, I, if I were thinking ahead, I would put that list of words up here again and think, what would it look like if we had uh, role models and leaders in our society that had those traits? That would be really, really special, right? And so current event discussions give us a great opportunity for that. Um, I talked about repurposing class earlier. I think it's also uh, wise to sometimes repurpose homework. They can learn content within the, within the um, context of, of learning to be resilient or truthful or caring. Uh, one of the things that I always did in my human anatomy class was because a lot of those kids were interested in medicine, um, as I would talk about, tell me what's broken here. Tell me what about the human body is not working. Uh, and then tell me how you're going to bring shalom to it as an 18-year-old. What are you going to do to help fix what's going on? What can you do to help love and support people with these things that are going on? And so um, within the context of writing about a human body system, they could tell me how they're going to be more caring and loving. Um, and so repurposing homework in that way, having a deeper purpose behind it, um, was extraordinarily helpful. Um, talking about the resilience piece of homework and, and sometimes... Not always, but sometimes giving kids homework that you know they're going to fail. Um, I think forced failure can be a really helpful thing. I think about kids who, who graduate high school and college and they get to real life and they've never experienced any sort of adversity. They've never had a bad thing happen to them before. How are they going to respond if I haven't given them the tools to deal with it well? So I force failure sometimes through their homework. Knowing that you know you don't, there's no, there's no way you should be able to get this right. But I want you to try anyway. And then the response to that, and teaching kids how to one fail well, but then two, kind of deal with it. How to how to act when you don't know an answer. How to act when you fail uh, is really really important. So forced failure, I think, is helpful too, um, in terms of a deeper purpose to homework. Uh, this is one of the more awkward ones that I do, but is uh, and sometimes this really fails, and sometimes it's really really cool. Uh, have kids compliment each other. We, uh, we kind of stand around the room and uh, everybody has to get complimented before we sit down. So just say something about somebody, like, like say something that you like about them. How, 
how hard is that? It's hard, it turns out. Um, it feels weird. Uh, but kids can build into each other. And I think it just starts to be like, you know what? Uh, so-and-so said that to me, and that was actually really meaningful. And it was the highlight of my day, and I remember that. Um, and you'd be surprised, I think, how often teenagers can recognize how good that felt and how wise it would be of them to go do that to somebody else then. Uh, I, I think that that's a great thing. Um, and then the other, the other thing that we, we talk about is positive self-talk. Um, there is an activity that I've done with my basketball team. I have not tried it in the classroom, but I would love to hear if it was effective in the classroom. Um, what I would have my kids do, my, my basketball boys, I'd say, I want you to think about uh, in a game when you make a mistake, when you mess up, I want you to think about the things that you say to yourself. Not out loud, just what would you say? And, and you and I probably know that, man, I suck. Like, I'm stupid, what an idiot, right? And I say, okay, now think about the things that you, um, that you would say to yourself, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and say them to their face. <laughs> and they won't do it, right? They'll like, be like, I don't want to say, why don't you want to say that to them? Because that's hurtful and not helpful. So why would you say it to yourself? So why would you say it to yourself if it's hurt? You wouldn't say it to them. You wouldn't say it to him. You wouldn't say, you wouldn't say it to me. Why would you talk like that to yourself? And, and we have a discussion about positive self-talk that's usually pretty productive too. Um, so there's a bunch of classroom things. Uh, a couple of other things that I've done in the hallway that's really good. I, I made it a point in every passing period to stand out my door and meet him there. That way I can look every kid in the eye and say hi to every kid every day until I moved to a classroom that had two doors, and then I just had to do my best. Um, so I, I would encourage you to do that. Great, organic, fun conversations happen there. Um, and then this was one of the most transformative things that happened for me, um, is I learned to ask better questions. Like, hey, how are you? Um, and so here are three questions that I guarantee you kids are going to have to stop and think and answer. Uh, one is, what was the best part? So what was the best part of your weekend? What was the best part of your morning? What's been the best part of your day? Kids, uh, they're, not, they're not ready to say, it's good, and then keep, right there, oh, what was the best part of my day? Uh, you always get an answer. What are you excited for? That was my question yesterday as I stood at the door to the school as kids are walking into the party. What are you excited for today? Long weekend. What are you excited for? Long weekend, right? But, uh, so that one wasn't particularly helpful, but you'll always get a response better than great. Yesterday, uh, a girl, it's my birthday. Oh, that's great. Um, and so you'll, you'll hear things that will surprise you, but ask better questions than how are you. Ask what was the best part. Ask what are you excited for. And this one always uh, awkwards kids out a little bit. like, hey, how can I help you today? They're like, what? Legitimate. Like, how can I help you? Uh, the thing is, if they ask, you have to be ready to do it. And sometimes they ask for crazy things. Um, like, can you help me with my math? Oh, um, probably not. Uh, so, so, but three things that always will get kids oftentimes. So my hallway was kind of long and I was in the middle. So I'd, I'd see them for 30 feet. Then they'd be in front of me and I'd watch them walk away for 30 feet. And if I just saw them, hey, how are you? I said, good, and then I'd have to watch them walk for a while. So I started asking better questions, and oftentimes they would, like, stop and be like, think, and they'd answer, um, and sometimes we tardy to class. Um, but it's just one of those. So uh, just better questions than how are you. Kids will open up. They'll surprise you with your, their answers sometimes. Um, that's really, really good. So there's just a list of a bunch of stuff that I've done, some things I haven't done that I found effective. Um, some things that I want to give you before uh, I wrap up are just some resources that I found helpful. Uh, two books that I mentioned. Uh, one is Mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, I think every educator should read this book. I think it's terrific. It's one of my favorites. Um, Age of Opportunity is a, a guy whose PhD is in uh, uh, adolescent neurobiology or so, something with, the, with adolescent brains. And that book does a better job of explaining adolescent brains from a biological perspective than any that I've read. Um, Age of Opportunity by Lawrence Steinberg and then Mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, those are the two more like philosophical, my thoughts behind this. Um, I mentioned The Talent Code by, uh, is it Daniel Coyle or David Coyle? Daniel, Daniel Coyle. Um, and I mentioned... Uh, Urban Meyer, who, regardless of what you think, his book, Above the Line, is really good. Um, these are more like practical, like these actually have activities you can do in them. Uh, what drives winning is obviously based toward coaches, but um, a lot of like activities that are in there that you can modify for a classroom environment that, that I have found helpful. I've stolen a lot of what I've done. 
some of those those questions that I was uh, that, that I was posing during those first couple activities, I'm not a good question asker. I almost I'm, I almost guarantee they came out of that book. Um, and then that other book, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to put it on a pedestal, but uh, there has not been a more transformative book in my teaching, my coaching, and my life, um, other than the Bible, I suppose, uh, than The Only Way to Win by Jim Lohr. Uh, and if you read this up, you'll be like, oh, that's where this presentation came from. Uh, how Building Character Drives Higher Achievement and Greater Fulfillment in Business and Life. I love that book. I can't speak highly enough about it. Um, and a lot, again, everything I've shared today was, was pretty much stolen from, from one of these resources or something else. Uh, not, not original to me. Um, last thing is just my contact information. If you would like any of the things that I've used, you're welcome to email me and I will send them to you. Uh, that's my cell phone number if you just want to ever call or text and just ask about what I was doing in the classroom or I'm doing with my... Basketball team, I would be happy to share any resources that I have or, or if you miss the names of books or whatever, just don't hesitate to, to get in touch with me. So um, I would be happy to answer any questions. I would also be happy to be done early. So. Yeah? How many of your kids journal? Yes. So they were journaling knowing that you were going to be reading it or was this a private journal? Yeah. Was it on paper? Was it online? I would give them the opportunity to uh, to take out anything they didn't want me to read before I collect them. So I wasn't using Google Classroom or anything like that where I had access to their documents. Um, I would have them remove whatever, um, uh, download it as a PDF, and then turn it as a PDF. Um, so they they would turn them in. Part of the way I kept them accountable to doing these is I gave them like five points for turning it in every few weeks, um, and that was my opportunity to read them. Uh, but I would, I would say, I'm going to read through these. I want to make sure you're doing that. And I just want to know you better. And for the most part, they wouldn't take things out. Sometimes they would, and that was their choice, and they weren't punished or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Is there any circumstance where you wouldn't do the obituary activity? I have found no tool more effective than that in creating buy-in and helping kids understand why I believe running my classroom in this way is so important. Um, I'm sure there are other ways to do it. Uh, I think I stole the obituary activity. Uh, that's out of a book called Burn Your Goals by Joshua Medcalf. Um, and I, I took it, I used it, it was awesome, and I had stopped. I don't know that I would not do that. Yeah. I know you have students in your room, though, that have lost like a parent that you had right that because that would really bring up a lot of emotion. Probably. It's never been a problem. I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, I can see where you need to be sensitive to that. Um, I think I would, I would uh, press back a little bit and say it may even be more certainly hard and bringing up bad emotions, but I would also say it would probably be more meaningful to them uh, in a very real, tangible way of who do I want, like what do I remember my mom for, and who do I want to be. I think it would be hard, but... Yeah. That list of um, character attributes you had up there, do you think middle schoolers would be capable of that? I thought a lot about that, yeah, when I was preparing this, and I was like, I wonder if this would be useful for anybody that's not teaching um, high schoolers, and specifically, I taught a lot of juniors and seniors. Um, I, I, I don't claim to be a very creative person. I, I would like to believe that there are ways that you could do this age appropriately for middle schoolers um, that you would do better than I would because I, I, I don't teach middle school. Um, I, would hope, I would hope the answer is yes. I, I can't say for sure, though. I've never tried it with anything younger than uh, uh, some freshmen. Yeah? So, have you, have you guys had any, um, I don't know if pushbacks or any inquiries from parents Science, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a science class, you know. Yeah. And, and if so, if they're pushing back like that, what are some of the things you say? How do you frame that? Yeah, I, I, I try to just tell my heart and be like, listen, I want to share who I am with your kids, and I want to know who they are. Um, I got into education because I love kids, and I want to, I want to help them. I want to be with them, and I don't know a better way to do that than if we're deep in relationship with one another. Um, I, I don't feel like I ever shortchanged kids on content. Um, uh, when, 
you said pushback, the only thing I could ever think of is reading uh, one girl's journal and saying, she's saying, Mechas has us writing this stupid thing right now. And I just wrote back, I'm so sorry that this isn't, and she came in and said, oh, I don't mean this isn't useful. I love Motivational Monday. She's having a bad day. That's the only time I can remember any pushback. It was just from a grumpy girl one day. Yeah. 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 For the most part, I think they like it. Um, I try to make it as relevant as I can. Uh, again, some activities, like I said, some activities, not everybody's fully in. Uh, but again, the deeper I went into my heart, the more relevant it was for them. Yeah. Do you find, I mean, that relational standpoint kind of makes it at home with the parents? Like, I do. At our, and that's the culture of our school, too, I think, that plays a big role in that. I'm blessed to be at a place where that there's space created for that, and, and it's encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found ways to incorporate this in a broader way at your school, rather than you know beyond just? Yeah, I would love. I um, I've thought about it and just I try to be protective of my time too. Um, I, I thought, man, I would love to do this for like a bunch of the sports teams at our school. Like I wish I could reach more kids this way. Um, I've never tried it in anything broader than my winter room class where anybody could sign up. Um, uh, I, think it, I think it's doable. I think this is a culture that could be created and there could be ways to integrate it uh, at a more wide scale. I just haven't, haven't done that yet. Um, something else that you asked us. Oh, I, did, I, don't, I don't know why I thought you were going to ask this and you didn't. Um, but I was like, I should just make sure to say this. Um, some of you might not like this, and that's okay. Uh, I didn't mention God really at all, and I think that's okay. Um, I think sometimes when we when we put all this in the framework of Jesus and being a Christian, it feels like we're just kind of sprinkling Jesus on our curriculum, and it becomes maybe just a inauthentic. Um, and so I, I do it without really mentioning God very often, and I think that that's good. I think it's authentic. I think kids resonate with it. Um, I do mention God and Jesus in my class. Um, I do sometimes have my whole spiel at the end say, and especially if we want to live like Christians. Um, but uh, this whole presentation was pretty secular, and I think that that's good and effective and authentic. Yeah? Uh, I'm just curious, was there a specific instance in your classroom that sort of brought this on, or was this just something... Long term. Uh, the biggest thing that happened, great question. The biggest thing that happened again was I read that book, uh, Burn Your Goals by Joshua Medcalf. Um, so that, but I don't love that author very much. Um, and he publishes his books without proofreading because he says, I have ideas and I want them in people's hands and I don't care how they get there. And so they're sometimes hard to read. Like there's typo. Like, so I, and I, like I don't love him. But that book is extremely. Um, it was extremely convicting to me in the way I was relating to kids and um, maybe the, the inappropriate focus that I had on results and achievement. Yeah. Thank you.